Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Good to see you, yes. It is cold out there, yes, lovely. hmm? It's finally... Nearly a winter evening. But come in, though, come in. Bask, unmuffle, demitten, peel your furs, unfurl your mufflers, and doff your caps. And be welcome. Welcome to the nook. Welcome to Tales to Terrify. Yes, you press the right buzzer button down there. I am Lawrence Santoro, and this, this is our night to howl. Well. Howl. No. Uh, one of our stories tonight may have a howl or two in it, but us, no. No, it is our weekly evening, our own chit-chat society. Come to the nook, here together, to sip warm beverages and listen and shiver at the chills that grow within. Oh, yes, I apologize. For what? Well, Miss Cecilia and I listened to last week's gathering. I was immediately struck by how chipper I sounded. Throughout, I seemed to have a grin stuck in my throat. I apologize for that. If my virtual fizz bummed your gloom, it was not intentional, and I will try to amend my ways. As you may have gathered, tonight we'll have a pair of tales. Nothing connects them thematically other than their ability to provide some moments of dread, perhaps some thrills and, dare I say, terror. One is a domestic drama set in the men's loo of a pub in dear old England. How much more cozy and familiar could a story be, hmm? The other? Well, the other takes place... Somewhere else, somewhere out there where trees made of live wood and metal grow, and ebony wolves stalk their prey under stranger stars than the ones above us now. Well, you'll see, you'll see. By the way, tomorrow is the day. 
congratulations to all of you who have signed up, and are you one of them? Have you done it? Tomorrow at 8 p.m. Greenwich, meantime, will you be snuggled with your headsets, ready to sit by the virtual feet of Spider Robinson as he addresses the matter of how to write science fiction? Hmm? Well, if not, go. Go to the starship. Sign up. Yes? Yes, good. The event, as said, is tomorrow, specifically Saturday, June 26th, at 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, whenever that is to you. Fiction. Yes, right into fiction. Our first tonight is a short piece by British writer, broadcaster, journalist, cable TV presenter, stand-up poet, playwright, and troublemaker, Jasper Bark. A bit about Jasper. In 1993, Mr. Bark released an anthology of poetry and a spoken word album, both titled Bark Bites. In 1999, he was awarded a Fringe First at the Edinburgh International Festival. In addition, he is a novelist, A Fistful of Strontium, written with Steve Lyons, Sniper Elite, Spear of Destiny, Dawn Over Doomsday, and the highly acclaimed cult favorite, Way of the Barefoot Zombie. He is also the author of children's books, 12 to date, and a scriptwriter who specializes in comics and graphic novels for just about every publisher in the British comics industry, from 2000 AD to the Beano, and for an increasing number of American and international publishers as well. His book, Inventions, Leonardo da Vinci, has been translated into five languages, and his battle cries, graphic novels, are used in schools throughout the UK to improve literacy for 12 to 16-year-old readers. Here is Jasper Barks, Taking the Piss. So, I'm taking a slash in the king's arms. Two blokes on either side of me finish up, then leave as I am shaking the last drops off, and I am all alone. I check the door, then crouch down in front of the urinal. It's one of those big stainless steel jobs, you know the ones, with a long trough at the bottom. I get right up close to the sluice, where all the piss runs, and I whisper, Danny, I know you can hear me. I know what you're thinking, but, you know, I'm not touched or anything. I just hate Danny Taylor. He's always been a nasty streak of piss. One of those useless thugs whose lips have been glued to a crack pipe since they were 15. Danny didn't have no dad around when he grew up, see? That's because his dad, Charlie, topped himself. Walked into his garage one night and started up his prize BMW. He loved that car more than he loved his family. There was only one person Charlie loved as much as his car, and that was Charlene. His bit on the side. But Charlene got tired of his shit and left him. So Charlie, he got tired of life. He started up the engine, and instead of getting a hose and sitting in the front seat, he couldn't wait. He went around the back of the car, put his mouth straight over the exhaust, and sucked. Like he was blowing his prized possession. The pipe was so hot, it melted his lips, fused them to the exhaust. He was a terrible colour when they found him, several hours later his lips glued to the pipe. 
Charlene didn't go to the funeral. But she did wear black for a month as a mark of respect. She's nice like that, is Charlene. She just can't take men too seriously. That's why she can't stay committed to one. They've never really been there for her, so why should she be there for them? That's what she told me when she dumped me. I fucked up for a while, after Charlie died. Nothing serious, but I had a lot of fun, and I was sorry when it ended. I was in her kitchen when she told me. She was wearing this long, baggy top, not one of her usual tight, low-cut jumpers. Looking back, maybe she was trying to make herself look less attractive so she could get rid of me. Or maybe she was hiding something. I don't know. But nine months later, Stevie was born. Terrible shame about that kid. Terrible shame. The stench of the urinal brings me back from the memories. Danny, I say. No one can hear you, mate. They think it's just the pipes. I know a lot about the pipes in the King's Arms. I did a job for the landlord a few months back. The urinal was playing up, you see. The sluice was backed up and the piss was spilling out of the trough onto the customer's shoes, so he got me to take a look at it. It turns out there's a little crawl space right behind the wall where the urinal hangs. It's where all the pipes are. I had to go through the yard at the back and knock through the outside wall to get to it so I could clear the blockage in the end. Only two feet wide it was. Working in there reminded me of being in solitary. I, I did a bit of bird when I was a youngster. For fighting, mainly. Thumbed a guard when I was inside and ended up in the hole. Wasn't too different from that crawl space, except it smelled better, even with all the dead rats. You see, that was the funny thing. I think it was something to do with the air circulation or whatever, but all the rats were perfectly preserved, like mummies. Some of them must have been there for decades as well, but not one of them stunk. Anyway, I cleaned them all out, and then I cleaned out the sluice pipe. You would not believe the shit I found in there. Great clumps of slimy pubes and other stuff you can't and probably shouldn't imagine. Like a glass eye and a, and a tiny baby doll's arm. No shit. A baby doll's arm. Don't ask me how it got there. I look at the sluice at the end of the trough and try to imagine how it would fit through the little round grate. You shouldn't have done that to Stevie, I say. You realise that, don't you, Danny? Danny had persecuted Stevie his whole life. Maybe because of who Stevie's mother was. Or maybe because of the way he was born. He wasn't like other kids. His left arm was stunted, never grew, remained the size of a baby's arm. Plus he had this weird lazy eye that used to go all over the place when you were talking to him. Made it difficult to look him in the face. Made him a target especially for little cunts like Danny Taylor. I tried to help him when I could, but there's not a lot you can do when it's kiddie violence. If you cough around the ear, you're likely to end up back in stir these days. Plus, I wasn't around that much. At the same time, I felt a bit responsible. Like I said, Stevie was born about nine months after me and Charlene split up, and even though Charlene had a lot of fellas, I've always had my suspicions. The old thing between Danny and Stevie came to a head about a week after I'd finished the job at the King's Arms. Stevie walked into the men's room and saw Danny at the urinal, and he must have been scared, but fair play to him. He stepped up right next to Danny. I'm not certain exactly what happened next. Maybe it was Stevie's arm. Maybe he'd had a few and couldn't handle it. Perhaps it was his sense of humour. But he ends up pissing all over Danny's shoes.
Danny was having none of that. So he took Stevie round the back of the king's arms and he did number on him. Dragged him outside by his little arm. Stevie howling with the pain as Danny down near wrenched it off. Then he punched Stevie to the ground and started kicking him. Stevie lay there crying and saying sorry, but Danny wouldn't listen. He he kicked all the Stevie's front teeth out. Then he put his foot so hard into the back of Stevie's head that his lazy eyeball popped out. And while Stevie lay there on the ground in a pool of his own blood and piss, screaming for his mother, Danny stamped on the eyeball and he laughed as it popped under his Nikes. He ground it into the tarmac. When he was done, he pulled out his cock and he pissed into Stevie's open eye socket and then he went back inside and he finished his pint. It was an hour before anyone thought to call an ambulance. The police asked around a bit afterwards, but no one round here talks to them and their art weren't in it. My art was. I can feel it pounding as I crouch next to the urinal. You didn't think I'd let you get away with it, did you, Danny? I whisper. There are some things you just can't walk away from. He did think he'd walked away from it, though. He bragged about it. To anyone who'd listen, I heard him one night down the King's Arms, standing at the bar he was, proud as fucking punch, telling everyone how Stevie had it coming. Take it the piss he was, that's what Danny said. Can you believe that? He reckoned Stevie was taking the piss. So I went home. I got a hammer, a chisel, some super glue. Then I waited for Danny to leave the pub, and I caught him on his way home. He was full of beer and he was soft as shit. Putting him down was a piece of piss. I'm not a defensive wee lad, not like Stevie. And then I went to work with the hammer and chisel. Not like you're thinking. I did take out Danny's front teeth, but that was later. First, I went at those bricks I'd laid in the pub's outside wall. Shame, really. I'd done a bang-up job on them, but I made good when I was done, and you'd never know I opened that crawl space again. And that's where I left Danny, lying on his side with his wrists and ankles bound. That's where I used the super glue. You know what, Danny? I whisper, keeping an eye on the door, just in case. I read somewhere that the human body can survive for up to two months if it has a regular supply of liquids. I picture him lying there, just like his dad, with his lips glued to a pipe. But unlike his dad, it'll take a very long time to die, because Danny's lips aren't glued to an exhaust pipe. They're glued to the sluice pipe from the urinal. Taking the piss, Danny. That's what you said about little Stevie. Do you remember? But now, you know what it's really like to take the piss. For those of you not of the British persuasion, the expression taking the piss means simply, you kidding me? Are you pulling my leg? I just wanted to make sure you knew. And thank you for that, Jasper. It is a wonderfully succinct, tight little piece. And ah, ha, 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 
Ah, the place, the people, the plumbing. It reminds me so of the plow, my old local in, well, <laughs> plow tales and stories are for another time and another place. Taking the Piss was read for us tonight by the redoubtable, the mighty, the fearsome Alastair Stewart. Alastair is the host on a fellow horror cast out here in Podville, probably the premier podcast, in fact, Pseudopod, a title I have always loved because it is so creepy crawly and says, well, several things at once. Alastair grew up in the lovely three-legged Isle of Man and has since left. One of two in his school graduating class to successfully do so, he says. Since then, he has lived in York, in Fremont, California, and now he's back in England at Nottingham with a red-haired legal Valkyrie, some books, and a surprising amount of notice boards. He is a keen, if amateur baker, cook, and martial artist— and he blogs regularly at alistairstewart.com. Go to our website and see how that's spelled. And he can also be found hosting the aforementioned Pseudopod at pseudopod.org. And he's also just become co-host of Escape Pod at, of all things, escapepod.org. Alistair says he hopes this means that he is now the living embodiment of science fiction horror, meaning that perhaps at last he can get one of those cool flight suits from Event Horizon. If you want to know more about him, scoot over to Pseudopod and have a listen. Come to think of it, maybe I should ask Tony about the hosting gig over at Protecting Project Pulp, soon to be vacated by Dave Robeson. I could carry a whip, wear a loincloth. Well, there's an image to carry with you. Ah, well, now, another ad. By the book. Book? Book. Tales to Terrify, Volume 1, by that book. Tonight's long tale is called Horror Show. No, I'm not speaking Russian, and Horror Show in this connection is, well, it is something else again. Horror Show, the one we bring you now, is by Andy Remick. Andy is an author of science fiction and military-flavored fantasy, and tonight's tale properly straddles both genres, I think. I think you'll also find it is a tale to terrify and to thrill, yes, to truly thrill. Of Andy, he is married, has two children, and in addition to writing what I consider literary-flavored science fiction, thriller, and military fantasy fiction— Andy's Viking soul also embraces sword fighting, mountain biking, kickboxing, Ducati, motorcycles, and climbing. And for all the joys and raptures therein, he engages himself fully. He's a full-time writer with a plethora of novel-length fiction out and about in the world. To wit, Spiral Quake, Warhead, War Machine, Biohell, Hardcore, not to mention Clone World, Theme Planet, and... Talks for Solaris Books, but pertinent to us here in the nook 
now is a cold tale of... Well, you'll hear. Here now is Andy Remick's Horror Show. The winter sun was a pool of blood nailed to the horizon. It drifted, shimmering above a cursed planet where only the insane, the condemned or the poor were allowed to roam. Maruk fell, shit, or more precisely, shit hole, despite a rolling vista of stunning beauty tossed across the planet wilds. Pippa was there by choice, a holiday or rather convalescence to help her get over the murders. Those sour splinters which pierced her heart. Pippa halted, dropping her pack to the ground with a thud and watching the natural spectacle unfold. She rolled aching neck muscles and flexed strong, tapered fingers. It wasn't often a scene impressed Pippa. At 29, she was cynical beyond her years, but as crimson light washed over the world liquid fire and illuminated her face so her eyes shone red, and for the tiniest instant she drowned in the panorama and forgot, at least for the moment, the scissors. Darkness followed blood, and Pippa grinned sour, turning back to the mountains, aware she was in the Marukfell wilds, alone, and probably miles from shelter. Dangerous. But hell, she thought, that's what makes the wine taste so sweet, yeah? That's what makes the stars sparkle. Without adventure, adrenaline, the thrill, without something to fire the blood, then hell. Life becomes nothing more than second-hand parody. A scene without scenery, an act without action. And that would be worse than death, she thought. Pippa hoisted her pack, careful it didn't impede her Yukana sword sheathed against her back and listened for the ebony wolves, guilty of tracking her for days. She set off at a brisk pace, ever upwards on the rocky ascent and panting with sweat bathing her face she climbed the final broken spine of angular rock and gasped as she reached the top, wind howling to witness the sudden widescreen ice-flecked panorama from her unstable promontory. Pippa swayed as rocks beneath her moved like liquid, a cold magma peak. Then she leapt down from the summit, finding an old helk track and followed it beneath a vertical volcanic slab which dropped steeply in jagged staccato steps towards a forest of distant, grey, leafless trees. With the sun down, night came swift like rolling smoke and with it tiny fireflies. Pippa focused. The fireflies were lights. Evidence of a far distant village and that meant stone walls between her and the jaws of the ebony wolves. Eerie and lost, a haunting howl fractured the night. They were close. They were always close. Pippa flexed one hand and glanced at the tight bandaging on her arm, stained with dried blood. She grimaced. Pretty face cracked like a broken egg, then relaxed, pulling free a Kekra quad barrel machine pistol. She hefted the solid weapon thoughtfully. She'd had two encounters with ebony wolves to date. She thought they might have learned their lesson. Fixing grey gaze on tiny lights, Pippa headed for reality. Anything was better than another contact with the ebony wolves. Or so she thought. It was a modest village. No name. The cottages were compact and hunched. Stone walls with thatch and most single storey in height. A dry dirt track led to a square containing a statue of a lithe woman with polished metal eyes. The chipped weathered stone gleamed under the coloured stars. 
A warm glow pulsed from a tavern. Pippa, kecks are drawn, eased along the wall with the wariness of a natural predator. After ten years in the military assigned to combat K-Squad, she'd learned to trust no one. And after a failed relationship with Keenan, our squad leader, especially men. The bastard. Pippa circled the building twice, and as she entered, all chatter stopped. The tavern was basic, straw matting, thick timber furniture, hardly the city ritz. Pippa forced a smile to a reluctant mask, but her eyes, cool, observant, assessed each individual swiftly, with a gauge for combat. Pippa cursed and bit her lip. This was a simple farming community, the people wearing threadbare clothing and drinking cheap gecko whiskey. She was too suspicious. Her lack of trust was her saviour, but also her curse. A man behind the bar smiled and Pippa ordered a drink. Gradually talk returned, a mixture of quad-gal common speak and a local language with a hint of musical dialect. It was soothing to her ear and Pippa felt tension gradually flood from steel-coiled muscles. She hated being hunted. Here, she was safe. Pippa paid for her drink and retired to a corner table. Carefully, she placed the kekra on the bench beside her and sipped the liquor. It was a strong distillation that burned her lips, but brought welcome warmth to her belly. Pippa pulled out a small tough map and studied the plastic pages, but the village wasn't marked. Damn automated map scanners, she thought. Her bitterness directed at technology. Leave too much to machines and you'd end up screwed. And that's the way it would always be. Can I buy you a drink? No, thank you. Her smile was polite, restrained. She didn't want company, especially alpha male. I, I insist. He stumbled against the table a little. Pippa's drink spilled. Her head lifted, cool eyes surveying him. Tall, over six feet, and heavily built, he wore furs and cotton with expensive leather boots, too expensive for this community. Pippa could smell gun oil, and she blinked, lazy, her good mood evaporating. That's okay, she said, lifting her drink and meeting his feral gaze. His face was pockmarked, sun-scorched, features relaxed into the stupidity of the drunk. She lifted her kekra and placed it gently on the table, a solid clack. Too much whiskey spoils my... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Aim. The man stared at the gun, then back to her face. He snarled something in local speak and staggered from the tavern, swaying, allowing a wash of cool air to invade the sanctuary. An old man at the next table, his face baked like cracked leather, leant over and smiled at Pippa. Don't worry about J-Lo, he thinks he's a gift to the women. Ironic, his wife left him six months ago. Couldn't take the beans any longer. You passing through here, sister, heading to Cafe Star? Pippa smiled, allowed a breath to escape her. Yeah, am I so obviously a tourist? We get a few through, adrenaline junkie types and survival bozos. They come for the danger of the Maruk Fell Wilds, and to meet our celebrated ebony wolves, of course. My name's Selix. I can sell you ammunition for that cannon if you like. He nodded to the Kekra. No, Pippa smiled. I am well chilled. I thought you might be. Suddenly the tavern door slammed open and a figure crawled in from the dark. It was a woman. Her black hair twin braided, her woolen dress torn and bloodied. She was gasping and crying intermittently, sobbing a name over and over. Pippa leapt to her feet and was by the abused woman in an instant. She rolled her over, cradled her head. That's Abby, someone gasped. What's happened, Abigail? Pippa wiped pools of blood from the woman's lacerated face, her practice eyes shifting swiftly over the flesh. Pippa could see considerable damage, but it appeared superficial as opposed to deep, rich-coloured gore of the soon-to-be-dead. It attacked us, she moaned. Brill, he's still there. God help us all. Who attacked? A Krell. Please come, all of you. We need your help. Brill is protecting our sister, little Gan. Please come. Her eyes swept the tavern imploringly. A muttering ran around the room. Pippa glanced back, face a sudden snarl. Get your guns, follow me. Several men shook their heads and Pippa, stunned, watched several more leave by the tavern's egress. Damn you, cowards, she thought, and looked back to Abigail. Can you stand? I'll help, but you have to lead. Abby nodded and Pippa helped her up. She hefted her Kekra quad-barrel machine pistol and glared at the men who stood, ice eyes on Pippa, faces almost glazed. What's the problem? screamed her mind. What are they so afraid of? Their animosity filled the tavern like smoke. They had developed hate. Selix, the kindly old man, stepped forward. Don't go, he said, eyes sorrowful. Why, Selix? What's happening here? What do you fear? The Krell, he said simply. You cannot fight it. It cannot be beaten. Abigail's brother, Briel, and little Gan, they're already dead. If you take Abby back, you'll condemn her also. Bill, shit spat Pippa. If you people are so afraid, I will do it alone. She helped Abigail to the door and out into the chilled night air. The tavern's portal slammed, jarring the jam. Tin pots on the wall rattled. Selick shook his head. That's what I'm afraid of, he whispered. Pippa helped Abby struggle along the deserted road. Ice-rimmed puddles cracked under Pippa's army boots. Abigail, despite her wounds, fought bravely, pushing on. Thoughts of her family gave her courage and strength. They left the village out into the woods. Immediately, Pippa's hackles rose as she realised the trees were far from normal, or what she would consider normal. 
They were iron oaks. Their trunks and branches a mix of organic and mineral. Their leaves like hammered steel. They grew in contaminated areas and Pippa found herself staring suspiciously at the ground. We live in a church, said Abigail, panting, sweat smearing through blood on her face. Pippa nodded, eyes weary, senses howling like Carrotton prayer flags as they hurried down a narrow, barely used trail, forcing them to single file. The iron oaks crowded in, snatching and snagging at Pippa's jacket, intimate with their metal, oily stink. Abigail led the way, Pippa following with gun by her cheek. In the air, the trees seemed to whisper, a slither of steel on oiled steel. Why wouldn't they help, back in the tavern? I don't know, Abigail stopped, shivering, face pale under pastel starlight. My father brought us here, only a few weeks ago. We moved from Kafista. He was doing missionary work there for the spine of the sacred monkey. And where is he now? I don't know, said Abigail, eyes downcast. She gripped Pippa's arm. Please help us, please help little Gun. Pippa nodded. Eyes fixed hard as she descended into military cool head. She took the lead, coming through an arched opening amongst metal trees where an ugly, brutal church squatted at the centre of a clearing. Several iron oaks circled the dull metallic church and Pippa's eyes scanned rusted flanks, the tall spire, stained windows, all blood red. It was like no holy place she had ever seen. Abigail pushed past Pippa and screamed, dropping to her knees, hands clasped to her face. Hung from one of the iron oaks was a greying man, well-built, a coiled noose of titanium four wire connecting his broken neck with thick branches above. He swung, idly, nudged by the breeze. His boots clacked rhythmically. It started to snow. Flakes tumbled from frozen skies. Pippa cursed. Wait here, she growled and padded forward, Kekra sweeping arcs of fire. The sound of rustling metal in the trees increased as if welcoming this intruder. The church loomed above her, threatening, pagan, frightening. Pippa licked dry lips, unused to the feeling which coursed her mind in ice-filled veins. Fear was something that happened to other people. With an inculcated instinct, she flipped, rolling fast beneath the swinging body of Abigail's father as an ebony wolf soared above, snarling from invisible shadows to skyline in an instant where Pippa, on her back, coiled, tracked the hefty frost-furred animal and slammed five bullets in quick succession. Gunshot reverberated, deafening and metallic. A reflected song from the Iron Church. The ebony wolf was plucked from trajectory and sent spinning, trailing fat droplets of blood to slam the earth and skid to a twitching, tangled halt. Pippa breathed, checked around, then eased herself to her feet. She moved to the ebony wolf, eyeing the frost-bruised fur and long curve of savage black talons. The beast was easily as long as she was tall, its eyes cold and black. It was still breathing, rapid pants, desperate to suck air. Their eyes met. Pippa gave a single nod. She smashed around in the creature's skull, gave a final glance at the swinging corpse, then stepped towards the church's surprisingly small entrance. Inside it was black, solid, oil. With the exhalation of a sniper, she moved inside. Pippa clicked on Kekra's targeting light and cleared the church's lower corridors and rooms with military precision. The level was comprised of sleeping quarters, kitchen and a wide low-ceilinged living area. So sparse it was painful. Pippa felt the pressure of the church bearing down from above. The narrow beam of her gun light sliced through the nightmare black. Pippa dared not breathe. Nothing. No brother, no little Gan. 
Pippa climbed spiral steps, weary, body coiled, and eased herself into the mammoth-haunting space of the chapel. It was cold and her breath frosted. Eerie red light pulled in through the crimson stained glass. Pippa climbed, scanned, but could see no person. She moved between ice-sparkling pews towards the altar, then froze, shocked, as she glimpsed the woman for the first time. She was the image of the statue in the village. Tall, lithe, skin silver yet tinged red by blood light. She was bald, face long and narrow, almost elongated into the canine. Her naked flesh glowed, pulsed almost in the light from Pippa's gun. She was seated on the altar itself, surrounded by crushed ice and silver candelabra. She leant forward as Pippa approached, as if eager to meet an old friend. Where's the lad and the little girl? The woman laughed, a tinkling of ice cubes. Pippa caught a glimpse of long fangs within a pit of blood. She stepped down from the altar and Pippa snapped up her kekra, sighting down the weapon. The targeting light illuminated the woman's face. I am Shivag, one of the Krell. You took the girl. The woman shook her head and nodded towards the stairwell from where Pippa emerged. Abigail stood, eyes bright, and when she smiled, Pippa saw the glint of metal fangs. Bitch! Pippa fired as Abigail leapt and Pippa spun to the side with gun booming, bullets scything through blood light and hammering Abigail back, a flailing sack of blood spewing flesh to tumble and smash, tangled and torn between the pews. Pippa eyed Shivag, then ran to the nearest wall, leaping up onto the high windowsill, Kekra booming, again sending a shatter of crimson glass chunks cascading the outer flanks of the iron church. Dark snow fell on a scene which made Pippa chill. Silently, in ranks, stood the villagers. Her eyes moved across the people from the tavern, eventually alighting on Jalo the drunk and Selix the old man. They stood as if in reverence, gazing up at the squat church. Their faces were broken by peeled skin and metal fangs. There was a hundred of them. They advanced on the entrance. Hearing the scatter of pews, Pippa whirled to see Abigail gain her feet, woodenly as if in learning to walk again. The smile had gone from her face. Not just gone, but disintegrated. Her flesh had peeled back past her ears, revealing a gaping mechanical maw and long steel fangs slightly curved. Deep inside her jaws and skull cavity, tiny cogs and gears whirred. Something went click. What the hell are you? hissed Pippa as Abigail charged, and holding her weapon in both hands, Pippa coolly sighted and opened fire. Bullets whirred across the church, slamming Abigail in sprays of blood and curled metal shavings. The bullets slowed the woman, but did not halt her. In a blink, she was on the pews and leaping for Pippa, who twisted fast, catching Abigail in one arm as fangs clashed and snapped for her face, her throat, and Pippa staggered back under the onslaught, almost pitching back through the window as Abigail's jaws slashed at her and arms and legs scrabbled and Pippa placed the kekra against Abigail's head and yanked the quad triggers. There was a deafening boom. Abigail slammed the iron wall in a splatter, half her head blown away, revealing a bright gleaming scar of sliced metal. Pippa kicked the woman in the face and Abigail slithered from the cell, stunned, to lie twitching on cold, icy tiles. Pippa's eyes fixed on the silver woman, Shivag. What the hell are you? she repeated. She could hear the villagers moving beneath the chapel. 
they were coming. She had only a little time. Shivag stepped down from the altar, her own face peeling back wide behind her ears to reveal fangs and intricate internal cogs which spun and whirred. When she spoke, there was a minute whine of gears, only audible if you listened for it. Shivag chuckled, and several flywheels spun within the cage of her metal face. We are machine vampires, sweetie, said Shivag. Abigail and her family, they were our latest recruits, although her father somewhat spurned our advances, hence the hanging. He was incredibly resilient. Shivag half turned and patted a small bag on the altar. Pippa caught a glimpse of tools, long, delicate silver tools, like a jeweler's or a doctor's. Shivag stepped forward, her smile, if possible, seemed to widen. Tiny wheels spun. Now it's your turn. In a blur, Shivag leapt. Pippa twisted, kicked her booming as a clawed hand smashed the weapon from her grip. The quad-barrel machine pistol flew to clatter between the pews. Lost. Pippa slammed, a left-straight, left-hook, right-straight combination which rocked Shivag back. Pippa leapt, boots cannoning Shivag's wide-open machine face. Pippa landed and realised Shivag was laughing. The naked woman, or, or machine, or vampire, or whatever the hell she was, unrolled her toolkit. Miniature medical implements gleamed against velvet. You're a feisty one, that's for sure. Abigail did well to bring you. Yeah? Well, I'm too fucking trusting, snarled Pippa, eyes fixed on the medical tools in restrained horror. She reached back and drew her yukana with a slither. Formed from a single molecule, the blade was black, frictionless, and could cut hull steel. For a moment, she saw Shivag's silver eyes flicker. Meaning? And the two combatants attacked simultaneously, rushing in fluid blur. The Yukana hummed, left, right, and Shivag dodged fast. Fangs flashed for Pippa's throat, seemed to flow and elongate, and Pippa twisted, slamming into a roll which hammered a wall of pews which scattered. She blinked, and Abigail, with her half-severed three-quarter slice face, was there, scrabbling across the floor like some demented lizard before falling on Pippa and thrusting fangs at her throat. Pippa's arms lashed up, Abigail's fangs sunk into flesh, and Pippa felt the disconcerting pull as the machine vampire sucked. With her free hand, she lifted her yukana and with a hack, sliced Abigail's head from her body. It rolled a few feet, gears clicking and whining like a turbine decelerating. Like a struggling worm, the zenith of the machine's vampire spinal column wriggled as if seeking to vainly reattach the severed head. Pippa pushed the twitching body from her with her boots, noted the spine was metal, hissed to herself, for this whole situation was surreal, a horror show of dark imagination, a nightmare from the deep well where insanity dreams were born. You can die, she snarled. Shivag nodded. She held a sharp, glinting tool in each hand. She seemed unconcerned. And that rattled Pippa, who struggled to her feet, Yakana slippery in nervous hands, head scanning left and right. With a roar, the villagers charged across the chapel, flooding the rusting holy place and cutting off Pippa's escape. She blinked, and Shivag was there, had flowed towards her like liquid, a machine ghost. For an instant, Pippa found herself transfixed. Trust us, become one. It won't hurt, sweetie. We promise. With a scream, Pippa hurled her yukana, which slammed Shivag and quivered, embedded to the hilt. 
Slowly, Shivag withdrew the blade and let it fall, tinkling to the tiled metal ground. The villagers swarmed at Pippa, who turned, sprinted and leapt through the jagged, smashed window. She sailed through the air, hands outstretched, and caught the corpse-hung noose with a grunt, body slapping the slime cadaver of Abigail's long-dead father to send them both thumping the iron oak's trunk. Pippa dropped to the ground, whirled and watched in panic-frozen awe as the flood of villagers leapt from the same window, gracefully, athletically, to land in crouches and stand forming ranks of neat, grinning, machine-faced, open-faced vampires. The hum of watchmaker clockwork filled the scene. Pippa took a step back, observed Shivag step from the high church window and land crouched to rise with elegant grace. You cannot escape. Why the hell do you need my blood, your machines? It has, shall we say, certain nutrients we can process. It lubricates, Pippa. We call it blood oil. For us, it is life. Pippa took another step back, tripped over an exposed iron root and hit the ground in the snow. The machine vampire screamed, jaws gnashing and charged. Pippa cowered, as from behind her in the black ink woods a roar went up and a huge pack of ebony wolves leapt to the attack, sailing over Pippa's submissive body to slam the vampires like hammer on anvil with snarls and growls and the rending tearing of fangs on flesh and steel. More ebony wolves poured from the forest, their clawed pads leaping Pippa. The fight was savage. The clearing became a thrashing, biting, snarling, blood-drenched frenzy. A wolf huddled over Pippa's head, legs severed, yelping. Pippa watched a machine vampire's head caved in by a huge, powerful creature which buried its muzzle in the open neck and chewed down on gears with a spurting of refined blood oil. Without looking back, Pippa scrambled to her feet and sprinted into the trees. Behind, grunts and howls followed. A sound of war. A song of carnage, a symphony of death. Pippa ran into the cold, into the ice, and within minutes was lost, confused, but at least she had fled the machine vampires. She did not care who won the perverse battle she'd vacated, only that she got away. After an hour of running, she sank exhausted to the ground. With her back against an iron oak, she surveyed her options. Without weapons in the Marukfell wilds, she was a sitting duck. A bright yellow one, fair game to any predator. Pippa laughed then as a baseball bat of irony slapped her. Payback, she realised, for the girls. The dead children. She pictured the scissors again. Her smile became a bloodless line. She had lost her pride. Distantly a howl worshipped pistol stars. For now, the ebony wolves had won. But would they come looking for her? Pippa's face was pulled in shadow. She gritted her teeth in a sardonic smile. Of course they would come. That's how life works. With cold grey eyes fixed on the dark, Pippa waited for retribution. Yes, you're right, I did. I forgot to mention. Andy Remick is an old friend of the show. Early in the life of Tales to Terrify, 
Andy did occasional reviews and performed a, a general skimming of popular culture as it applied to things dark and horrific for us here in the Nook. He did several outings in what he called horror, anarchy, and doom. Well, tonight's story belongs in Andy's Combat K universe. These books are what has been called kick-ass roller coaster action adventure extravaganzas. Combat K, you see, involves stories about the members of a corrupt and somewhat insane combat squad who go on a variety of deadly missions and planet-wide wreck havoc. Pippa, from tonight's tale, is a member of that squad. As Andy describes her, Pippa is a slightly deranged, sword-wielding man-hater. Ah, that's too bad. War Machine is part of that series, as is the zombie science fiction action thriller Biohell and Hardcore, a medically deviant science fiction action thriller. Horror Show also has a limb in the clockwork vampire chronicle world of Kell's legend, soul stealers, and vampire warlords. Thanks for Horror Show, Andy. We'd love to have some more from you. So, what were you doing when you were 13? For myself, I was just then beginning to get consistently similar results when counting my fingers and toes. By 13, however, horror show's narrator, Ashley Story, has been doing stand-up comedy for several years. She'd also been opening for the likes of British-Iranian comic Omid Jalili and for London TV host, journalist, and comic Donna McPhail. Ashley had also appeared on the London Tonight Show, and by the time she set foot in her teen years, she was performing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in her own show, What Were You Doing When You Were Thirteen?, the youngest ever stand-up performer in the Fringe. Later that year, 1999, she was a guest presenter on the Disney Channel. In 2003, she co-directed her mother Janie's play, The Point of Yes, at the Edinburgh Fringe and subsequently at the Soho Theatre in London. Ashley has now returned to the stand-up comedy scene and does a weekly podcast with her mother called Janie Godley's Podcast. And thank you, Ashley. And I guess thank you, Janie. We'd love to hear more from you. And that will do it for tonight. So, be up and doing, bright and chipper. Redon your gear. I hope you've enjoyed this week's gathering. I hope you will continue to enjoy our times together here. Next week, <laughs> next week, something utterly different. A story of serial murder, and I don't mean of cornflakes, and small-town life, and five witches... Or are they? Ah, <laughs> you'll have to stop by for it. In the meantime, I hope you'll stop by the other neighborhoods in the District of Wonders, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and, of course, the mothership, the Starship Sofa. And don't forget, you may still have time to get a seat by the feet of the good spider, Spider Robinson, as he weaves a web of wonder, as he spins out the story of his life in science... Who do I think I am with the weaving and the spinning and the metaphors? Dave Robson? <laughs> Just go, enjoy, learn, absorb. And 
And as you wrap yourselves in scarves and bemitten yourselves against our single-digit wind chills, have a thought to our friend and co-editor, Cher Eves, as she braves the high thirties and the drizzle of Owensburg, Kentucky. But seriously, thanks for all you do, Cher. Very well. Are you ready now? I'll open the door, shoo you out, and slam it at your back. And as you shuffle under the nearly full-to-bursting moon tonight, don't even have a thought to those ebony wolves of Morukfell. We have no ebon wolves here in Chicago. Such critters of the night as we have here are only the day-to-day -day beasties of wing or foot or claw or hand. No, no, just keep warm, keep moving. And if you see a dark pill of blood peeping above the steaming ice horizon of the lake, well, well, that's just the gibbous moon. Nothing but the moon. And when you fall into bed and draw the quilt and counterpane round you, take the thought with you that where you live is not a world where naught but the insane and condemned are allowed to roam. Oh, no. Out there, the vampires are not clockwork. Ours are all flesh and bone and teeth, and they are abroad in the night, simply to inform your pleasant dreams. Hmm? This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you for listening.